Hi, thanks for joining me. My name's Nick. I'm the pastor at Cross Point Community Church, and I'm thankful that you've um, clicked on this video to uh, look at 1 John with us today. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 27. Uh, we'll read that, and then I'll pray, and we will take some time to look at his word together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father in heaven, we come before you because of Jesus Christ, because of your son. We confess that he is Lord, that he is our only salvation. He is our only way to you. He is the only truth and the only light and the only life. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed the truth of the gospel of Jesus to little children, that we are your children as we've been adopted into your family. We are those who walk in the light as you are in the light. We are those who when we stumble and sin, we confess our sin, we turn from it and walk with you and walk closer with you, Lord. We thank you that we can even do that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look at your word today, would you keep us from the lies of false teaching around us? Would you keep us in the truth? Would you let your truth abide in us that we might abide in you? I pray for all who are listening, for myself too, that you would grant your spirit to illuminate the truth of the scriptures to us, to apply the truth to every aspect of our lives, that we might live lives in these last days and more so as John wrote in this last hour for you and not for ourselves. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us, illuminate us. Glorify Christ in our midst, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week we're looking again at 1 John 2, verses 8 through 18 through 27, 18 through 27 of 1 John 2. And the title for this week's message is All We Face, All We Do, and All We Need. Last week, we considered who we are in Christ and abiding in that truth so we can reject the temptation to love or, remember, give our steady devotion 
to the world or the temptations of the world's system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Today, John brings up another aspect of our spiritual battle as Christians, and that which is between the lies and the truth. John says that there are those out there who are actively working against Christ. And that's where we get this term, anti-Christ. As we live day by day, how can we know if the teaching that we follow is true? How do we know if we are being deceived? What could be a worse fear for a believer than to find out that they were lied to and actually led away from Christ? Do we have hope of recognizing the truth from the lies? John told his readers that they were living in the last hour, and they knew it because even, the, even though the Antichrist had not been revealed, many Antichrists were at large, leading many away from the true Christ. And things haven't changed much for us 2,000 years later. Christian teaching today is a smorgasbord of different flavors and endless portions and some truly great selections. The internet is a treasure trove of biblical truth from sound teachers who exalt the scriptures. And at the same time, this spiritual buffet, as it were, false teaching doesn't put itself at its own table. It mixes in with all the other teaching. John shows us today how we can pick apart the truth from the lies. We'll look at all we, can fa- all we face, all we do, and all we need. And that's kind of your outline here, and I'll, I'll give you those um, scripture breakdowns as we, as we go. But basically the outline comes down to all we face, all we do, and all we need. So just as with the passage last week, John's going to give us great assurance in a surefire way to endure with confidence in Christ alone, abiding in the truth, as he says, abiding in what we've heard from the beginning. So from verses 18 through 23, let's consider everything that we face as far as false teaching goes. Loving the world system, as we looked at last week, is the danger from outside the church. The danger coming from within the church is the matter of false teaching. Look at John's first words in this section. He says, children, it is the last hour. Every generation of believers has asked the question, when will Jesus return? Are we in the last days? John's answer is no, not the last days and not even the last hours, but the last hour. He wouldn't say look at your calendar, but rather look at the clock. Of course, this isn't to be taken literally, as we understand 60 minutes in an hour, but the point is clear. It won't be long now, and we need to be ready. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 27. As the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Along with this is a theological notion of where we are in time. We're no longer marching forward to the end in the same way as we were before Christ appeared and accomplished salvation at the cross. But consider the analogy that time is standing still at the gate of eternity. I read something very interesting this past week, and it was more of a diagram that I can share with you if you're interested. But it shows the sort of concept of time is moving along a timeline coming up to the very end of time. And the the author said that because of the work of Christ, time 
is no longer working in the same way so much as it, it is coming up to the gates of eternity and now running parallel and simply waiting for these two lines to overlap when Christ returns. I think that's helpful for me as we consider the fact that this last hour is not meant to be understood simply chronologically, but theologically. We are in the last hour. The last thing that God wants to accomplish in this world is the spreading of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to do. What about false teaching? What about all the things that we hear that isn't quite right? How dangerous are some of these things? That's what we're going to look at. Of course, again, in regards to this last hour, not knowing when that lightning strike of Christ's return will occur may make us fearful, could create worry in us. But John's confidence in his whole letter that we've seen so far and we'll see again today and we'll see in weeks ahead, Lord willing, his confidence should remind us that the last hour is the Christian's great hope, the end of temptation, the end of all evil in the world, and most importantly, the full presence of Jesus and his kingdom here on earth. Even for the serious warning that we find in this passage, we ought to come to this text with joyful expectation and anticipation. So John says, it is the last hour because these antichrists have already come, which is the first subject we really need to deal with. John makes a distinction between the Antichrist and many Antichrists. And it's that second group that he's more concerned about. The Antichrist refers to one individual who is pointed to in the New Testament as a sort of ultimate opponent and would-be usurper of Christ. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. This isn't a passage about this guy, and so this isn't a sermon about this guy. But the point John is making is that there is actually a spirit of Antichrist, as he calls it in chapter 4, and that it is going around already. Not in the world, as we discussed last time, but to be found in churches all around the world. Among the sheep are the false teachers, the wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus warned them warned us about them and and said that you know, we'll know them by their fruit. And so John is kind of elaborating on that a little bit here too to talk about well what is this false teaching? What will these false teachers how will they be known? And the false teaching of the antichrist is very clearly laid out in verses 22 through 23, the denial of Jesus as the son of God. John says we cannot misunderstand Jesus and still have a right relationship with the Father. Listen to verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That's a lot of back and forth. But suffice it to say, those who, looking for a right relationship with God, see Jesus and the message about him, as one that is false and untrue, cannot find an alternate route in any way through another person or by another means to the true God. Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life, as he says himself in John 14, 6. This is the reason the doctrine of Christ is so essential. Knowing the right Jesus is what eternity hangs on. We see that in verse 25, that the promise that we have is eternal life. If Jesus is the only life, then it matters what is taught about him and what is taught about what he did. 
We may not think that Christology, as theologians call it, that is the particular study of Jesus Christ, his personhood, his, his work, and his nature. Um, we may not think that that is super essential to day-to-day living. But I want you to consider, if you are a Christian, which literally means little Christ, if you are one who is following Jesus and wanting to act like him, then truly Christology is the crux of the Christian faith. Apart from who Jesus is and what he's come to do, there is no more essential thing for the beginning of faith in Christ than to know who he is and what he has truly done. And of course, this is where the false teaching is attacking at the very core of Christianity and the person and nature of Jesus Christ. We've seen this already in the beginning of John's letter as well. If you recall back to 1 John 1, 1 through 4, you can look back there on your own time. But here again, in verse 19, we see the results of those who teach and who buy into the false teaching. Look at verse 19 again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is a scary passage. What John's saying, and a lot of this, they were not of us and they went out of us, it can be a little back and forth, maybe a little bit confusing to read at first glance. Take another look at it um, as you you go uh, through this message and even afterwards to really understand that John's saying that those who do not truly belong to Christ will not remain with the others who do. There's going to be a separation. And this is a very sad thing. I don't know about you, but I've seen this happen. This text is very living to me, especially as I consider friends and relatives and people that I hold very dear in my heart, even to today, have gone out from among the Christian communities that they were a part of, not because that Christian community is something special and unique and the the, uh, sole authority on truth, but rather that those who have abandoned the faith completely prove that they were never truly of the faith in the first place. And it's heartbreaking. You know, there's theological discussion around this. You know, can you lose your salvation? Are those who are born again, can they ultimately fall away from that? I believe that scripture is very clear in texts like this that you can't. But here in this context, John is not particularly looking at, particularly looking at the idea of the perseverance of the saints so much as the fact that this has happened in the midst of the saints and it needs to be dealt with. These ones who went out from among the believers were not of the believers, and they were the ones who weren't careful at the buffet, as we mentioned earlier. They added the secret knowledge teachings of the Gnostics to their plate. The Gnostics uh, was a group that said that through the Spirit, they gained a new understanding of the gospel that would deny the apostles' teachings about Jesus, the very foundation of the truth of God and the truth of what he's doing in the world. These teachings, these teachers undermined that completely. And of course, John says that those who followed that false teaching went out from among them. False teaching and truth are like oil and water. They cannot remain together. And eventually those who subscribe to false teaching will not be able to endure the truth. In verse 19, we also find divine action in the end phrase that it might become plain that they are not of us. There's a revelation of the Lord in this as well to say, this is what is going on. Jesus talks a lot about endurance, you know, staying on the straight and narrow, being prepared. You know, the parable of the, the virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom and they didn't bring extra oil for their lamps and their lamps went out and they weren't ready. 
Jesus calls us to be ready to endure. So is this a danger for us today? I mean, this was written over 2,000 years ago. Could we go out from among the true church and prove that we are, in fact, not of the truth? You know, in today's day and age, the postmodern mindset is, well, no, you can't, because if you would go out from the truth, you'd only be discovering your own new truth. And this, again, is false teaching. This is some of what the world believes seeping into the church and then sometimes being morphed into something that may look like it came from Scripture, but it certainly has not. It's scary. This is a serious matter. What happens when I'm filling my plate at the buffet of spiritual teaching and I accidentally put something on it that doesn't go with everything else? John is going to show us the danger, but he's also going to show us what we need to do. Now, most false teaching today that we see doesn't simply come out and deny that Jesus is the Christ. False teachers don't wear t-shirts that say liar across the front. They're very persuasive, and they sound smart. They sound loving or tolerant or unique. The best false teachers ride really close and even on the line of God's truth and only swerve slightly from it. I'll give you an example. I recently heard a very famous teacher um, who I don't want to villainize here, um, but he, in the short clip, the preacher was talking about how destructive unbelief is and how pervasive it can be, how, how difficult it can be to overcome unbelief. And in the end, the comment went like this, unbelief is something even Jesus can't overcome. And the fact is that if you listen to the whole message, there's a lot in that that sounds very good, but ultimately where this friend landed was far from something that was absolutely true. This was a going out moment in teaching. This is those who are not of us went out from us because it needed to be made plain that they were not of us. Not even a brand new baby believer in Christ should be able to believe this lie that Jesus can't overcome unbelief. Because even for the one who has only just become a Christian, Jesus has so overcome that person's old way of thinking and living and in fact conquered their unbelief that they would notice right away and be able to say, hey, this doesn't line up with the truth that I know from the gospel, the very foundations of my life even, the, even my experience of recognizing that I was dead in my trespasses and sins and my only hope was that God would come and draw me to his son and overcome my unbelief. This is the kind of false teaching that's out there. Don't let it land on your plate. It's truly poisonous to us. There are other teachings also, of course. The, the prosperity gospel, as many of us know, hangs on the pillar that faith is only a matter of my doing. And if I ask for healing and I don't get it, I just haven't believed hard enough for it. Or maybe I didn't give enough money. If I do everything correctly, I won't have any problems. I'll never be sick. I'll always have lots of money and success. But this is clearly debunked when we look at the life of Jesus. We cannot define success by worldly standards like this. Jesus was hated. He had no place to lay his head. He confessed himself. And he died a criminal's death. All for the eternal joy set before him. Jesus is living his best life now after the cross. And we need to remember that we're called to bear one as well. So remember, just because someone's teaching and they pick up the Bible and they say, thus saith the Lord, we need to test everything that we hear. 
We need to recognize that there are dangers if we listen to and sit under false teaching. We may end up proving that we never truly belonged to the household of faith to begin with. And some of us don't engage in the buffet at all, or hardly at all, perhaps. We might say, hey, look, I'll attend, or I'll watch the church service from home. That's going to be enough for me. Many generations didn't even have the Bible in their own language, my friends. Many that did, didn't have the access to it like we do. I mean, you can go online and find out statistics. I didn't do this myself because I've heard them over and over again. I should have them memorized. But the amount of, the the ratio in America, particularly of people to numbers of Bibles in their home is just staggering. I mean, the truth is, is that everyone who carries a smartphone and has an internet connection is essentially carrying with them a treasure trove of biblical knowledge and turning away from it day by day. It's not just the dust on our Bibles, but it's our hearts that are far from the, the wellspring of life that, that don't go to, to Christ rather than to the things of the world and, and that, that listen to false teaching that maybe even says like, oh no, it's okay to love the things in the world. Jesus loves everybody, so everybody's going to go to heaven anyway, right? Again, a lot of the false teaching that we hear centers around the person and work of Jesus Christ. But back to those of us who perhaps don't engage far beyond uh, the sermon on Sunday or maybe even just a couple of minutes of devotional time. We need to consider how blessed we are to have the amount of access to God's word and resources to help us understand it that we have. Right now, as you watch this, you can easily click over and watch a way better sermon by another faithful teacher, or you can click away and watch a way worse sermon from a false teacher. The response of plugging your ears to the opportunity to learn more about the gospel that you believe and that you say is the most important truth in your life, this is unacceptable. John would not have you sit in a bunker and simply read your Bible only and ignore all the wonderful resources of saints that have gone before us that we have access to. John assumes that he's writing to Christians who are marked by a heart that loves the word and longs to grow in understanding it, not looking for an excuse to spend time on other things and rejecting his word, but rather want to engage with it, want to be given the tools to understand the original languages, understand the theology behind it. Find great Bible teachers to supplement and keep you eating from the good stuff at the buffet. If we're talking about this analogy of meals still, and hopefully you're not getting too hungry yet, Sunday should be a feast. It should be the time we gather together to look at the word as the united body of Christ. And next week, we're going to be doing that in person. I'm so excited, Lord willing, that we'll be back together. What do you eat the rest of the week? Can you really fast from the word? (laughs) You can't. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word His word is like food to our souls. And if we feel distant, it's because we are hungry. Or perhaps because we may be in danger of listening to false teachers. Let's continue. So what about the danger of this last hour? How can we endure? Look back at 2 verse 20. 
chapter 2, verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. That word but at the beginning of the sentence is so important. It contrasts everything that's going on with the reality of the saints. You've been anointed, and to be anointed is to be covered from head to toe, as it were. Complete immersion, and anointed for a purpose, set apart for something. In the Old Testament, we saw kings and other leaders be anointed with oil, But John says of believers that we are all anointed by the Holy One. That is, every believer is anointed by the Holy One and has the Holy Spirit covering them head to toe. It's not just for pastors and missionaries, for people with a lot of biblical knowledge. We're talking about newborn babies in Christ are given the gift and the power and the privilege of having the Holy Spirit cover them. As, again, a king of the Old Testament would have been anointed with oil from head to toe, dripping with it, showing the purpose that God has on their life. God's purpose for you is to be a messenger of the truth of Jesus Christ, to drown out the lies with the truth of his word. And what has he given to you in order to accomplish that? He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's anointed you with himself, with his presence. We're anointed in order to be holy for him. Set apart is what holy means. The result then is that we all have knowledge, John says. In verse 21, he says he's not writing to tell us something we don't already know as believers, unlike what the false teachers were trying to do. But this knowledge from the Holy One reveals the truth to us, as well as any lies that may come against it. We'll get more into that in the last section. For now, we need to see all we face, this first point, all that we face as far as false teaching goes, a world full of teachers who look like they're teaching the truth, but might be teaching lies about Christ. You need to do that with me too. Just because you're a member at Crosspoint Community Church doesn't mean you get a pass and you just have to say, well, I hope he's teaching the truth every Sunday. You should be opening your Bibles as we say week by week. And as I forgot to say earlier, this is the most important thing we're going to do is open up God's word and hear from him. The beginning of the message. If you're not measuring everything that I say with God's word and making sure that it's accurate, I do believe you're missing out on something that the Lord is calling you to. Our second section, verses 24 through 25, this is going to deal with all that we do, what we have to, what our action is in light of the lies that are going on. So John has shown us all that we face within the gathering of believers, what we need to be watchful for, that those are there who will remain for some time, but then ultimately go out preferring false teaching and revealing their status as separate from the true church. Now let's look at all we do in response to the teaching of false, to the danger of false teaching. So for instance, if I took a week off of preaching and was out of town and sent someone else to preach for me and he began clearly teaching things that are not true, how would you know? You would refer back to what you've heard and learned before and compare what was being preached to what you know as the truth, right? John gives three tests in his first letter. In, 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 well, in, in, in First John, in his letters, we've seen these before, and the test that he brings up in this text is, of course, the test of true teaching or of true doctrine, of our ability to measure what we hear with what we know, have known from the beginning, what God's word has clearly taught us. These tests are designed to show us if we've come to know Christ. It's a self-assessment it's a moment of serious reflection for everyone. It should reveal the truth that is, that is or is not in us. What we have is a foundation from the beginning of our Christian journey. 
What did we start with? If we started with a good understanding of who Jesus Christ is, that is going to endure. If that is the truth that we have from the beginning, it's going to continue. If we've started anywhere else besides Christ, we're in danger of falling prey to false teaching and ultimately going out from among the body of Christ. We pass the test by the truth that is in us, by the anointing we have from the Holy One of the Holy Spirit. It's expressed when you let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That which already abides, when he continues to abide, we therefore abide in the Son and in the Father. The false believers that have gone out are not able to abide in the Father because they deny the Son. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. The gospel is glorious in its simplicity. Though sanctification does take place in a believer in that we are changed step by step into Christ-like people by the Spirit, it doesn't work through a progress of secret knowledge or of our own personal accomplishment, as the Gnostic teachers were saying at the time, and as some teachers would say today. This growth comes from a growing relationship with Christ. We let what we heard from the beginning abide in us by spending time with him who is that truth communication, fellowship. Naturally, as you spend more time with him, you will find yourself acting more like him and working alongside him in what he's already doing. To return to our buffet analogy, when true believers come back for more, they choose from the truth rather than the lies, and they grow from it. They've tasted and seen that he is good. They've also tasted the lies and put them back on the buffet. Or better yet, scraped their plates into the garbage, dropped it off to be washed, and picked up a freshly cleaned plate. This is all we do in order to reject the lies. It is not built on our spiritual accomplishment. It's not built on great wisdom and knowledge. It's built on the truth that abides in us. So let the truth abide in you. Let, it, let your heart be the home of truth opening the door to more of it day by day as you soak in the word and letting it cover you and fill your mind. And remember, this is the last hour, John says. We need to be serious about the truth abiding in us. All that's available to us today might be snatched away in an instant. I had this thought earlier this week. If I were in the Philippian jail with Paul and Silas as they have been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, would I have a hymn on my heart as they did? Or would I sadly be wondering why Jesus let such a terrible thing happen to me and forget that he has called us first to a cross before we enter the full joy of his returning kingdom? Very important for us to recognize that. It's a great motivation for us that one day all of that great access that we've started with, the buffet may shrink and shrink and shrink down to, I hope you even have a copy of the Bible, like many of our brothers and sisters around the world, wish for and perhaps hold just small post-it post note sized pieces of paper with his word on it. How important it is for us to store up God's truth in our hearts while it is abundantly available to us today. So this is our great task in rejecting false teaching. Fill yourself with the truth. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And look at what he promises to us in verse 25. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. There's no opposition that we could face that is going to 
give us an, give us an option that would be better than what God has for us. That, by that, what I mean is when we face opposition, which Jesus said we will, there's not going to be another way that we say, oh boy, I'd rather have this than all that God has for me. The truth is, is that all that he has for us in eternal life and knowing him and having a hope that this isn't as good as it gets, this isn't the end-all be-all, but there is a greater kingdom that we belong to is far better than anything else we could receive here on earth. Christ has died for a substitute for all who will repent and believe, for those who will abide in the truth, make their home in it, and make their hearts the home of truth. This is the work of the Spirit, the one whom, as John said in 2.20, we have been anointed with and whom we will examine now in the last section, verses 26 through 27. All we need, all we need is that we abide in the Spirit and the Word. We've seen all we face as the dangers within the Christian community. We've seen all we do to reject the false teachings by letting the truth abide in us. Now we look at all we need. Well, what is it that God's given us? So, though we have so much access It's not about filling our time with sermon after sermon after sermon after book after book after book after article after article. Those things are good, but we cannot look at that and say, I'll abide because I've done something. Rather, we do those things because of what's already gone gone on inside of us and is still going on inside of us. In verses 26 through 27, John again gives the purpose for his writing. So listen to these last last, uh, verses. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Our theme for looking at this whole book is that idea of abiding, of of where we make our home. And there's a two-way street here. Our salvation is all Christ. Nothing that we've done, only what he's done. Our response to what he's done is our activity. So when we talk about the truth abiding in us in that last section, we're not talking about works righteousness or works-based salvation where God says, here's the thing you need to do to be made right with me. The gospel is that Jesus has made all things right. And so all we're doing is responding to the drawing of the Father to the Son that's going on in our hearts And that naturally our hearts will become the abode of the truth. It will be where the truth makes its home. Those who are antichrist in their teaching have one clear goal, John says, to deceive you. As we saw in verse 19, these false teachers were among them. They were in the churches. They were going in and out. I'm not trying to say that we need to start, you know, really examining everybody we talk to at Cross Point Community Church. We need to recognize the fact is that Jesus has warned so many times and John's warning us again, false teaching is going to be spread through the church. We need to be very careful that the truth abides in us. That's our action. What's the hope? What's all we need in order to do that? The Lord has given us all we need. John's confidence in the Lord results in great assurance for those who truly belong to Christ. Because remember this transition, they're trying to deceive you. Verse 27 again, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have that anointing, believer. 
This is not all about, you know, a lot of miraculous, supernatural things going on outside. We can talk about that another time. But what's going on inside of you, the miraculous and the supernatural presence of God changing your life from minute to minute so that in this last hour, you will endure by the truth abiding in you and by the anointing that abides in you. It's very likely that false teachers were claiming secret knowledge that came from the Holy Spirit, so they would say, even though it was contrary to the gospel they received in the beginning. John reveals the truth, the anointing, the presence of the Spirit abides in believers. Again, it ab- he abides in all believers from the moment of salvation to the end, to the moment of glorification in that last hour. He is the one who teaches us about everything. He is true, and by his abiding in us, we are able to obey that last imperative in verse 27. Just as he has taught you, abide in him. Because the Spirit teaches us, we, as John says, have no need that anyone should teach us. This isn't to contradict preaching or teaching or discipleship. What he's referring to is the kind of teaching that tries to lay a different foundation than what has already been laid, to use Paul's language. This is why the Spirit and the Word are all we truly need. There's nothing at the table, the buffet, that we need to add to our plates that could bring something different than what the Spirit reveals nor what the Word teaches us. And these two work together. That's one of the most amazing benefits of having the Spirit of God abiding in believers. He it is who teaches you about everything. If anything is making sense from this message right now, it is simply because the Spirit is illuminating the truth of the Word to you. That is, in that the Spirit does what what the Spirit does to make believers more like Christ, one of the great it becomes one of the greatest things that He does for us. He illuminates the truth of God's word. As if we on our own power were trying to read the Bible in the dark, the spirit comes in and turns on the light. And in that illumination and in bringing light to the truth of God's word, it becomes precious to us. It becomes the thing that we want to learn more about. And those resources that we keep talking about, the the books, the things on the internet, the wonderful gospel-centered resources that we have, only become help in us understanding the truth that abides in us. And the Holy Spirit is ultimately the true teacher through it all. He is with us. And it is his delight, brother and sister in Christ, to reveal more of Christ to you. This is our great assurance that we are, that we have from this passage. We couldn't abide in him otherwise, except that he abides in us. We would be lost in our sin. We could pick up his word and read it, but we wouldn't be able to understand it. We would be hopeless victims to our unbelief. But praise God, Jesus overcomes our unbelief. Such that that father who had a demon-possessed son, he cries out to Jesus and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He heals his son. He gives evidence that that unbelief is conquerable by who Jesus is and what he's done. And my friend, if you struggle with assurance, if you struggle with knowing that you abide in Christ, remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Don't let your assurance rest on who you are or what you've done, but all in Christ. The Spirit is not only revealing the truth to us, but also bringing the power of that same truth to our hearts. The Spirit and the Word work together. More and more, I realize how necessary prayer is as I read the word. 
The thought of false teaching may not seem so pertinent to us today or in our daily life, but I want you to remember, everything hangs on what we believe. This test of true doctrine is essential. Don't be passive about what you're being taught. Trust the Spirit, open the Word, and test everything you hear. John says it is the last hour. And though we don't know the exact time of Christ's return, all of history has come to this point, this one last major event. All of the world's evil systems, all the lies of the Antichrist, they're pressing hard to reveal the truth that is in those who name the name of Christ. And those who have that truth abiding in them will endure by the Spirit and by the Word. They will press on in the mission to proclaim the truth to people who will be lost for eternity if they don't hear it. John's tender confidence stretches from the little children of the first century all the way to us today who believe. It will not endure because of our great learning or spiritual accomplishment, but by the Spirit and the Word abiding in us, empowering us to abide in Christ. Let's taste test every teaching we come across. And let's do so in confidence that the Spirit will illuminate truth and the Spirit will warn us about lies. Let's move forward in the same confidence that John had. Believers are anointed by the Spirit and taught by His very Word. What a great confidence. I want to give you three uh, reflection questions, and my hope is that this will be in the YouTube video at the end as well, so you can look in the description for these. But first of all, John warns us that things will get worse before they get better. So how do you test the teaching and doctrine around you? What are you doing to make sure that the message that you just heard was biblical? Or something you might read on Facebook? Or something you might read in an article? Another sermon you might listen to? Well, how do you test the teaching and doctrine around you? Second, those who abide in him are the ones who let the truth abide in them. So how are you growing in this today? How are you growing in letting the truth abide in you? How are you actively participating in that? Remember, you're not earning your salvation by learning a whole lot about Scripture. But those who are of the truth are going to grow in that truth because they're walking with Christ in the light. Last thing, the Holy Spirit is our anointing from the Father. So are you staying in step with the Spirit day to day? He's, he's leading us, He's in us, but he's also, he's also calling us to follow Him. Are you following Him in the next step of your Christian faith? The Spirit doesn't camp out. We ought not camp out on what we think is good enough. Let's move forward in confidence that we might abide in the truth, that the truth might abide in us, and that we might be able to discern the dangers of the last hour as far as teaching goes. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you that you've revealed these things to little children and that we are your children. So as we abide in the truth, so as we've been born again of the truth and we have that new life that Christ has given us. He's died at the cross because our sins were too much for us to bear on our own shoulders before you. We've been able to be given, be given new life in Christ. You've given us faith that we can walk by the Spirit, that we can walk in the truth, walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters in that today. In Jesus' name, amen.